2: The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Last week, I mentioned that maybe the Steelers running the table was a possibility to bet on. Well, the Washington football team took care of that in the past week, so there goes that one. But everything from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino as well. It literally never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses they offer. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. On today's episode of Believe in Wizards, we're going to be joined by Michael Lee of the Washington Post. From 2005 to 2015, he covered both the Wizards and the NBA as a whole, so we can provide really good perspective on on, the multiple eras of of Wizards uh, guards we've had over the couple years. He actually covered Larry his last year in D.C., so get some good stories here uh, about Wall and how that parallels with Gilbert Arenas and, and what we can get, you know, expect from Westbrook. So uh, really appreciate his time. Again, he's back with the Washington Post as a member of the sports enterprise team. So his coverage will focus on race, gender, diversity, and the broader role that sports play in, in shaping and reflecting our society. So really interesting conversation. We're happy to have him uh but before we get into it if you could all do us a favor hit the uh subscribe button on your podcast player and remember to rate review tell a friend all that good stuff that that really helps us out so uh, without further ado here's this week's episode of believe in wizards all right welcome into this week's believe in wizards as promised today we are joined by michael lee of the washington post so uh, thanks for making time for us hey thanks for having me uh as i understand it you uh you covered my partner here uh, during during yeah. his last year in D.C. Right out of the gate here. Any good Larry stories for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, Larry was uh, – that, that, that was the most fun team that I covered uh, in my entire time in the NBA, and, uh, you know, just from uh, from a B perspective because uh, I don't think anybody expected much of that team or knew what to expect. You knew they had talent, um, but I don't think everybody knew how good Gilbert was. I don't think anybody knew what Adam Antoine was going to do to elevate them. And I don't think anybody knew how uh, dedicated Larry was going to be that year to bring it on both ends of the floor. And I think just that, just mixture of everything, just it all came together. Um, I always think back, like, if Larry hadn't broken his hand, I'm sure he thinks about it too, uh, what it would have meant for him making the all-star team, um, what it would have meant, uh, probably even in terms of how much money he made <laughs> that summer. Uh, and, um, and, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I just learned something, and you know, maybe Larry can share it, but I was listening to Eddie Jordan the other day talking about um, that team in that summer. And uh, apparently, I guess, A. Poland had been hospitalized around the time that Larry was talking to, to Cleveland and, and getting ready to maybe leave Washington. And I guess he had, he had you know, I guess that a procedure or something. And when he woke up from the procedure, the first thing he said was, well, did we sign Larry? And Larry had already left to go to Cleveland. And uh, I, I just, I, I wanted to hear from Larry, like what it was like, you know, that summer, because um, I I know for a fact that at least one point during that season that um, a guy that is now in the uh, discussion as being the greatest uh, spent a good part of time on the court uh, making comments to Larry about come play with me. (laughs) And I'm sure that was one of the first, Larry's one of the first people that LeBron recruited. And now we know uh, since then he's, he's had some success getting some other guys
0: to come play with him. Yeah, no, that's 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 a, a a good question that we've talked about a, a couple times uh, here, you know, here on the show. And th- that was a good group of guys that liked playing with each other. We all kind of had an understanding of like what we all brought to the table. So the expectation was, you know, we would get my deal done and get out, get a chance to get back out there and fight again because you know, once we got to that Miami series, we were done. Like we were. We were tired. Like, we were like, you know, we made it to the championship by getting out of the first round. I mean, we were new to, you know, we were new to winning. So we, we definitely thought that we would get a chance to to roll it back, man. And this, um, we went to Miami, had the, you know, when the free agency thing started, we were in Miami. Uh, my agent was down in Miami, Jeff Wexler. Uh, so Washington came down to, to Miami. We were at the, can't remember which hotel it was, but I had a big suite at the hotel and.
2: We was that met. Ernie, Larry? Was that Ernie came down?
0: Yeah, yeah. Ernie Ernie, and, and Tommy. Ernie, Ernie and Tommy came down, okay. um, you know, for the meeting. You know, Tommy was there because me and Tommy were, you know, kind of going back and forth, really building a, a, a really good relationship. So they came down and we met uh, in the conference room. And, you know, my agent thought it was, you know, he thought it went well. You know, we were expecting to, to hear an offer, you know, if not that night when they left, you know, probably that next day. And the thing is, I didn't hear from them, you know, for a few days. And as free agency goes on and, you know, I got kids, I got a wife, and they're like, you know, what's, what's going on? Like, what you know, what are we doing? So I put the pressure on my agent. Like, look, they haven't called me. What are our options? And he was like, give me a second. I didn't know that I should look around. And that's kind of how it all started. But yeah, we were definitely talking on the court, and we, I can remember playing in, in Washington against Cleveland, and I think Cleveland they were in a I think a playoff battle and trying to make yep. it to make it to the playoffs. And Brown was like, "We we can do something," and you know they <laughs> kind of stuck with me. I you know I definitely remembered it uh, during the free agency time, and we made it happen.
1: Um, well, <clears throat> I guess I just remember that season, just how like. Um, Larry really took it personally on the defensive end because he led the league in steals that year. But a lot of people just felt like he was just a gambler who just was, just, you know, going after steals. But he really took the one-on-one battles really like personally. And I know that like just by every matchup against a top shooting guard, Larry affected their numbers that whole that whole season. And um, and I think that that's probably one aspect of his career that or or his um that doesn't get mentioned enough is that especially that year. Um he was locked in uh, on both ends and um and he wasn't just a gambler out there, like he was a legit legitimate all defensive player that year because he knew what he had to do because um you know Gilbert was coming into his own as a scorer, and you know he had they both said, they basically had to take their own turns, like saying if you if Antoine's going that night and Gil's going that night and Larry was going, but he might say, Okay, I gotta just focus on locking down on Richard Jefferson tonight or somebody or just whoever. Vince Carter or whoever, um, and I think that's that's what stood out to me is that Larry's willingness to just do whatever it took. And also just the effect he had on Gilbert in terms of, like, backcourts. Um, that was such a fun backcourt because they just balance each other in a way that few um, other backcourts can. You know, you've seen guys where, you know, you have the playmaker and the facilitator and you have the score and they just play off of each other. But they just had a chemistry that was just rare. And I know that, um, you know, Gilbert – emerged as a much bigger star after Larry left, but it was different. Um, And I always wonder what, what it would have been like, had they been able to come to terms on the deal and Larry stayed in DC and they played together. I mean, Karan Butler came in and played well, but it's always interesting to see this, the chemistry. And that's one aspect that that's always overlooked sometimes in the league. Is just how do these guys get along? Um, How's that locker room going to work and do they respect each other? And I don't know if there was a player um, after Larry left that that Gilbert respected as much as Larry, and um and I, I don't I don't know how they connected. And every time I asked them, like, how what is it about you guys that 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 works? And neither one of them could explain it. And that's just like any friendship, any friendship you have, like you really don't know why you're friends with somebody. You just know that you connect. And 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 uh, and maybe Larry, maybe looking back, maybe can you explain like? how you all were able to connect in that way and and why you feel like Gil was, would listen to you and he probably wouldn't listen to anybody else.
0: Well, I, I think it came from, or you know, comes from our, our early days in, in Golden State when he first got drafted. When he first got drafted, I was the guy that, you know, the equipment manager called and got in contact with and said, man, you, you need to you need to talk to this guy. <laughs> but, but when he first got drafted, man, I, I basically made sure that he ate he had somewhere to stay, you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. with, with all of that, that was building that relationship of knowing that he had somebody that he could depend on, somebody he can rely on. Aside from basketball, aside from basketball, and we would talk about making sure that you know he was in a good space as far as to how he how hard he needed needed to work to get on the court. You know what his goals are, what he was actually trying to do. Because Jay was a wild boy, you know, <laughs> from the time he came in to the time we got you know reconnected in Washington. That, that was him. But he yeah. knew with me that we had a, a deeper connection of all right, I know you wild, but when it's time to, to really lock in and to try to accomplish a goal, he knew that, you know, I would tell him the right, you know, the right stuff.
1: Yeah, I remember when he was at Golden State, Gilbert would do all sorts of crazy things like lick lick the powder off of the donuts and put like uh like talcum powder or whatever on and, and replace it. And he did all sorts of crazy pranks and things that everybody had these Everybody had a gill story about getting pranked or something stupid that he did that you're like, come on, man. Did, did he never try any of that with you, did
0: he? he? He would never do it with me. Because he <laughs> just knew, like we, like we had that deeper connection, like, like that doesn't fly with him, yeah. Like that's that's not gonna fly. <laughs> like yeah. I can be a part of it and I can say, like, you know, if you're gonna do that, I, I got you, right? Because I, I know he, he's gonna he's gonna lick the donuts, he's gonna put it back and Danny Forsen gonna come in, pick the donut up, find out that G.A. did it, and he's gonna attack G.A., and then I gotta step in to stop him from murdering Gilbert at the (laughs) practice facility. So that was our relationship. It's like, all right, I know you did this. I let the people get on him, and then once they get on him too much, then I step in and help him out and get him out of trouble. And that's, that's our relationship.
1: Yeah, and I also remember that that playoff series against Chicago, and um and how you guys got smoked those first two games, and everybody was thinking that you all were going to get swept. And I just remember that you know you had a calm about you, and it seemed like everybody kind of took on that persona. Like there was no panic when you all went back to DC, and you all wound up winning the next four games. And obviously that that game five was 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 uh was 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 a clutch game. Gilbert hit his first you know playoff game winner, but like. That, that meltdown where you guys like general Pargo, I think hit like four threes or something like in the last like two minutes or something crazy. Um, so that always stands out. And the, the, the fact that y'all played the Bulls that year was just kind of funny too because I remember the preseason going to Chicago and I think you had wound up, I think, shoving Kirk Heinrich into mm-hmm. uh, Lou Deng or somebody. And then it just it like, got ugly. And then Brendan Haywood, like, like thought about fighting Antonio Davis and then like recognized that he shouldn't have thrown a punch at Antonio, <laughs> Antonio Davis. was backpedaling the whole time. And you got suspended, you guys got suspended. And then that wound up being that your, your, your opponent in the first round. And the other thing too, is that I think that, uh, yeah, you were Brendan at time. You guys were the, the carry holdovers from the MJ era. You know, you were guys that, that Jordan had brought in Jared, and yeah, Jared Jeffries. And so there was like, you know, there were the, the guys that Ernie brought in to to put elevate you and the guys from the Jordan era that that um that and it, it just it's still to this day, like you hear all these conversations about Jordan and you saw the last dance and you were there with Jordan during that time, which just to see him in that stage of his life and his career. I mean, I always wanna know like what that was like just to be around him, you know, um, when people just just said, Oh, he's the best ever. But that's your teammate. Like, how do you even say, "All right, yeah, Mike, you got this. I got this now."
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and he was a teammate, but he was also the boss. You know what I mean? Really, <laughs> yeah, he, he was signing the guys. You know, then play with the guys. So and then get on them and and practice. But for me, it was it was special because I I grew up watching MJ and the Bulls. So that's really that's really what I knew. Right? I never. Thought of myself as Michael Jordan. I always looked at Scottie Pippen as like that guy. I mean, really, you know, being younger, I didn't dream as big as as the kids dream now of. You know, they want to be LeBron or they want to be better than MJ or things of that nature. So I didn't I didn't dream that big when I was when I was younger. But like I looked at Scottie Pippen and I'm like, I can do that. Like I can mm-hmm. you know play offense. I can play defense. I could be the guy that facilitates. So I think that that helped me too. Just along the lines of the different guys that I played with, just to step in and you know play basketball with whoever whoever my teammate was but just seeing MJ you know growing up and knowing that he's the the greatest in my eyes to do it and then have a chance to play with him in a stage where you know the media is talking about him not being who he was or being this guy for me it was just about watching him you know how he carried himself and that's really what I took from it is a lot of things you, you can be great on the basketball court but it's like it's like everything that goes into that pot that makes you like, you know, like you glow. And he has like that, you know, that glow. It's like how he talked to people, uh, how they gravitate towards him, you know, in the locker room, as far as immediate conversations, you know, the time and the cadence in which he, he, you know, he goes into the training room he goes out into the, you know, to the court Um, and just that routine that he's built over the years that didn't change. Like the intensity of, you know, how he did things, you know, how he worked out, what time he got up in the morning. Like, those things changed, but the, the, the structure of what he did didn't change. So I was, I was able to see that what made him who he is and things that I watched, you know, growing up, what made him who he was. I was, I was still able to see those things, so it was, it was special for me. Yeah, and the one thing that's always
1: I always find amusing that everybody acts like Jordan was washed in D.C., you know, like he was just some decrepit old man who couldn't get off the floor and barely made a layup and just couldn't score. And I'm like, yo, this dude's getting 22 points a game at like 40, like, <laughs> like that's hard to do as a shooting guard. You know, like usually you see big men out there, you know, um, you know, that play into their 40s and they they get big numbers, but for a guard to still be that effective, to still have 50 point games, to pin rimmers and stuff against the glass, you know, like. That just to me, that is one aspect of his legacy that that is diminished in a way that it should actually be enhanced, because he's running. He's forty years old, running against twenty-two year olds and twenty-five year olds, and still holding his own. And I know that it was probably tough for some of the younger guys on that team to like have to just let him do his thing when he wasn't like Mike, when he wasn't you know the the legend legendary Mike level, but he just set the bar so high that anything short of that was just going to be a disappointment. And obviously his injuries and his age was kept him from leading the team to the playoffs. But I, I always feel like, you know, people just they are say, oh, that's he's looking like MJ with the Wizards. I'm like, that means he's looking pretty good to me. I mean, if you actually know what he did when he was there, and I, I think that's one of the more um, disappointing things about when people discuss it. I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that A. Poland dismissed him in such a way that he doesn't even recognize that part of his career. But it actually wasn't that
0: bad, in, in my opinion. I mean, just to to have that opportunity, I definitely felt, you know, it, it, I, it was it was a blessing for me because, again, like we were signed. You know, he was signed with you know David Falk was his agent, uh, Jeff Wexler, David Falk. Uh, that's why I signed under you know. with oh, yeah. Fame. So it was all a part of like, you know, just like that little story of everything that went, and then get a chance to get on the court with him and be in the locker room with him, like. I can tell that story to, you know, to my kids and tell that story to, to their kids. So that's the kind of stuff that, that travels, um, you know, through basketball.
2: One of the things that you guys said on a minute ago, I just want to touch on before we, before we keep going for a second here that I thought was interesting. You know, Larry, we've had all your teammates on and they've talked about how you were sort of that calming influence on Gilbert and the parallels aren't the exact same here, but, you know, between the the gun stuff and some of the pranks, and then you've got Wall, John Wall with some of the you know, the gang stuff and maybe not being in the best shape after signing the Supermax. Like Gilbert had you to kind of steady the ship for a while. I'm curious what you guys think about. Did, did Wall ever have somebody like that? Eventually he had Beale, but he sort of kind of big brothered Beale. So it wasn't really the same. You know, I don't, I'm not looking up to anybody. And I'm curious if you think that guy's that kind of hurt Wall from a, a work, maybe a work ethic standpoint or a competitive standpoint or, or anything like that.
1: You know, I think the problems with John started um, right after he was able to get the Supermax. Um, I think up until then, there's nothing you could ever question about his dedication to the game. And I think one of the other issues is that the way he was introduced to Washington was more unique and probably more problematic than any other number one pick. Because I remember, you know, the day after he was drafted, they had a police escort drive him from the airport to the Verizon Center they had a red carpet display. They had balloons. They had a marching band. They had people standing outside the uh, the stadium, and like or the arena. And like Ted Leonsis greets him as he gets out of the limo and says, "This is how we roll in DC." And like they had this huge press conference in the, in the in the gym on the court. And so like it's like a lot of pressure. This is guys nineteen. He's just out of college. You know, one year out of school. And yeah, he's a phenomenal athlete. But he hadn't played an NBA game yet. And they're basically announcing to everybody. This is our future. You know, the, he's our he, he's anointed. You know, from the jump. LeBron didn't get that kind of introduction in Cleveland, and we know what kind of hype he entered the league with. And so they really gave him this sense of like, well, man, I must be the king of the world. This I'm being introduced like I'm royalty, so I am the king. And I remember uh, right after um, the press conference, and like everybody's so overwhelmed. Like his mom is there, like his whole family. Everybody's just like, wow, this is crazy dc is something else like <laughs> i didn't know y'all have all this for me and i i remember going up to his agent late david uh dan fagan and i was like wow that's some show right and this thing he looked at me and he just kind of like i hope he can live up to it and i was like wow because i usually your agents are always on spin spin mode and they want to tell you all the thing oh yeah well definitely of course you know this is john wall he, he was just like i hope he can live up to it because a lot of pressure was put on him from the jump to be not only a savior for a franchise, the number one pick, but in a lot of ways to be the anti-Gilbert, which wasn't fair to him. Because you know the team had really sunk into a new low. Obviously, um, the relationship with Arenas had soured to the point where it was only a matter of time before he got dealt. And to put all this pressure on a nineteen-year-old kid to sort of clean the slate and start this new era, John was under a lot. And I, I thought he handled himself really well he came into a situation where he had a lot of teammates um you know andre blatch nick young joe mcgee a lot of guys who didn't have the most stellar reputation as being professional but also they did some really silly things on the court that made you scratch your head or laugh just straight out laugh like i remember uh you know even before john showed up like one of the rookie year he tried to dunk from the free throw line during a game (laughs) <laughs> and like like you don't do that. Like you don't try to do that. Like even if you have the athleticism, and the capability of doing it, you don't do that as a rookie. Like you're not trying to like make. I think it was a game they were
2: losing stuff. too.
1: They were getting blown up by 25 points <laughs> here in Sacramento, and they and they try to do that. And so that that that's that's the kind of situation that John came in. You know, four years later, his third year, he was he was really ready to to take that team to the playoffs. But he had a knee injury, missed half the year, came back, and they had like a really encouraging finish. And then they made the playoffs. And then they, in 2014, they played the Indiana Pacers team. That if David David West doesn't come out and just completely bust them in Game Six, they probably can upset uh, the number one seed in the um, in the Indiana Pacers. Who that, that during that point they were really struggling because Roy Hibbert didn't know he just forgot how to play basketball, and they wound up getting smoked by the, the Heat in the next the next round. But the the Wizards were right there. They just weren't ready. You know, they just it was the first time in the postseason. Their two best players were John and Brad, and that was their playoff debut, so they weren't ready to make that leap. The next year against the Hawks, they played a 60-win Atlanta Hawks team. They were right there. They were ready to, like, beat them. John broke his hand. He missed three games during that series, and they lost in six. If John's healthy, they beat the Hawks, and they get the, the Cavs in, in, the, in the conference finals. It wasn't, it wasn't to be. And then they took a step back that year because they wanted to chase Kevin Durant and they didn't spend any money. And that's the one issue I always have with the Wizards is that when John and Brad proved themselves as being guys who are capable of playing big time in in the biggest moments, step up and really just be hoopers that you can depend on, who are gonna play, play their hearts out, especially when the lights get brighter, you gotta do whatever you can to make that team better right now. You can't wait. And I always felt that the summer of 2015, they needed to do something really bold, to ink, to uh, make their team better and try to really because there was an opening there, you know. Obviously LeBron was going to run the East. He was running the East, but there was a chance for them to really push them, and they didn't. They sat on their hands, sat on their money. They missed the playoffs next year, thinking they were going to make a run at KD. Toronto made it to the conference finals that year, the same Toronto that they swept the year before. You know, so imagine that the team you swept goes to the conference finals next year and you miss the playoffs. That means you didn't do what you should have done when you had the talent to really make a jump. And then they, took, then they wound up going to the conference semis again and played Boston Celtics 2017. And uh, Isaiah Thomas just went off. Like that was the last great basketball Isaiah Thomas was going to play because his hip, you know, gave out right after that series. And so they were right there. And right after that, John makes All-NBA um, for the first time qualifies for the Supermax, and he signs it. And at that point, he's a four-time All-Star. He's, you know, one of the best point guards in the game, and he's feeling himself a bit. we is given giving that Supermax. He shows up in training camp that next fall, he's not in the best shape. It's hard to work yourself into shape, you know, when the season gets started. He got hurt, and then when he got hurt, the team actually found a way to win without him, which was weird. And there was all these talk about, everybody eats. Brad made a comment, everybody eats now. And it was like, well, now we find a way to win without him, And that hurt John to actually see that happening, to see them having some, not, they weren't successful. They were like a 500 team without him, but they weren't, they didn't fall apart without him. Mm-hmm. And when he came back, the chemistry was off. They wound up making it to the playoffs that year, but they lost to Toronto, a Toronto team that wound up winning the championship the following year. <laughs> so again, I'm saying this, like the, the, the Wizards had done everything right, and trying to get help for this team and not just saying, well, we're just going to let John and Brad take us there. Um, I think that everything would have found up better in his career. He might still be in Washington, but the the parallels between this John and Brad situation and what happened in Washington to me is very similar because Gilbert got hurt in, in 2007 and he wound up essentially missing two seasons because of that. When he came back, Karan Butler had emerged as, you know, an all-star player and he was somebody that him and Antoine were going to be the guys and, but when Gilbert came back, he was like, well, I was the man before, you know, Karan got here. So I'm the man now and Karan was like, well, look what I did while you were gone, like, give me my respect. And it never really, the chemistry was off. And so I think with John and Brad, they like each other they had a better kind of personal relationship than maybe Karan and Gil did. But I think that it was going to be tough for Brad to kind of say, I'm going to be the little brother again after I just averaged 30 and six. <laughs> and, you know, really could have, should have made all NBA. And I've already, you know, been an all-star and the team is kind of behind me now. They kind of like the energy I bring and they feel like they want to build around me now. And I think that if they had brought John back, it, it would have been off a little bit on the court. Because John would have not only been trying to reestablish himself and in you know coming off a of major Achilles injury, but he also would have been trying to establish himself in that locker room as being the leader of that organization. When John, when Brad had done that in his absence, so when you look at that, I, I guess you kind of can applaud the Wizards for making the move now, before it actually had the potential to turn into something they didn't want to be, where John and Brad are back together and it just doesn't work out. Now, on the flip side of that, I think that as Wizards fans, it's probably tough to be without your main guy for two years and to be told everything will be okay when he gets back and be patient with us as we try to develop these young guys because when John gets back, we'll be okay. And then all of a sudden, once the the moment of truth arrives, two weeks before John gets back on the court, you trade him. And so the fans never got to say goodbye. Now, um, you know, obviously with a pandemic and everything else makes everything weird in 2020. But I think that, you know, fans were just they never got that chance to really just say thank you, John, because he was not just somebody who just played for the Wizards. You know, he was somebody who really represented and embodied D.C. You know, he's he's from Raleigh, North Carolina, but his personality, his swag, his flamboyance, his just kind of everything that he brought, he represented DC and he would hang out at the clubs and he would, you know, you know, do community work in Southeast and he would, you know, be in the hood and, and be with the people. And they got behind them in a way that they don't get behind a lot of players. You know, a lot of guys play in a city and it's cool to be there. John played in the city and repped it as hard as he could. And, um, and but before he left, he really embodied it. So it was a, just a unique situation.
0: Because you've been doing this for, for, for such a long time, and I've I've been a guy in the locker room. I didn't, you know, have conversations and kind of scour the locker room for to understand what's really going on. Like, what does that look like for these guys when they talk about being the face of the organization? Mm-hmm. You know, when they're when they're when all of these guys, you know, a number of the you know the, the top guys are making you know, top level money. In particular, these two guys are making very similar dollars when you you know in, in the big scheme of things yeah so what does it look like for the public or just the understanding to say he's the face of the organization what does that entail is that more sponsorship responsibilities that more appearances what's the benefit of that
1: you know it's, it's weird because like, like I said you were you're were in the locker room man, and it seemed like we got to this point and then maybe it started with just the whole Shaq Kobe thing where you would always have a debate about whose team is it And I don't remember it always being that way. You know, I don't think anybody sat back and said, whose team is it? Magic or Kareem's? Whose team is it? Larry Bird's or Kevin McHale's? Like, no, I mean, you knew who the frontline guy was and you just sort of accepted and you went along and played. But now it's like, it's a, it's a ego thing where guys have to say, I'm the franchise guy. I'm, I'm the man and everybody else sort of has to, you know, kind of acquiesce to wherever my needs are. Like, we gotta I gotta get my own personal trainer, my own personal bodyguard. I gotta have my own this and that. I need, I need to have my own separate thing. I I, I need to get the uh, the the king suites whenever we go on the road and everybody else gets the regular room. I need to be the one whose face and image is all over plastered over the arena when people show up. I'm the guy that people are paying money to see on the floor. And I think that's that's sort of an ego thing more than anything. I don't think there's actually a real dynamic where it's like, this is my team I mean it's the, the guy who writes the checks team you know if you really want to be real um, but I think that in terms of just who's the guy that that's publicized, who's the guy that's promoted by the organization whose jerseys are being you know in in the arena um, for a lot of a pe- lot of players that means a lot and if you're not being having your rear end kissed you know repeatedly by the organization to some players they feel that's disrespect. Like not just being nice to you and treating you with respect. No, you gotta you gotta bow down and kiss the ring too. Like some guys need that. And um, you know, I have talked to people, you know, within the organization, uh, you know, for a while, and a lot of them felt uncomfortable with the way John was introduced to the to the um, to the, uh, to, the to the to the to the city and to the community because it's like, how do you come back from that? How do you you know tell everybody the world is yours and then say, oh well, yeah, it's kind of yours. We gotta take that back a little bit. You can't take it back. Once you open it up to somebody and make them feel like they are not just special, but like they are your savior in, in a lot of sense for your franchise, then you sort of put them in a place where they feel like they can't do any wrong, you know? And I think that Washington's a unique situation because there's a franchise that hasn't had a lot of history of success. They haven't won a lot of playoff series, haven't won a lot of games. And so when you have a guy who is a star, you don't want to blow it. You don't want to have him, you know, publicly embarrassing you by demanding a trade and asking out and making the organization look like a failure because they couldn't get it done with you. And I think Washington really did everything it could to make John happy. The moment that he was up for his rookie extension, they gave it to him, and they got criticized for it because he hadn't made the playoffs. They hadn't made an All Star team. They gave it to him, full eighty six million dollars, no opt outs, none of that, everything. Here it is, take it and see where you take us. And John played great basketball under that contract, you know. Um he outplayed that contract. Um, you know, with the with the way he was able to, you know, win three playoff series and, and do other things. Um, but then the minute he was available for the Supermax, they gave it to him. And a lot of people say that, you know, that that changed him in, in some ways. They took the edge off, you know. Well, well money can
0: change you. <laughs> like money can't change you and it is it is fact it's not fiction. Like money, money can't change you. It, it, it had will have you operating, you know, differently than, than what you would normally operate, right? It's it's being yeah. humble, hungry, and smart. And being hungry, humble and smart for the entire time through. It's like we don't we're not born with that. Like this that's something that we learn. So I've learned over time that, you know, to be hungry, humble, and smart, that's gonna keep you in the right space. Because I don't know if yeah. you guys were listening at you know the John Walls press conference in Houston. And at the end of his 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 comment, he said, I guess this is what the organization wanted. So he's feeling shoved out, you know, of that situation mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whether it's Brad being put in the forefront or whether it's just, I mean, at the sign of the times, I mean you're gonna transition to different players just because of the age deal, but Yeah. He's definitely feeling something
1: there. Well, I think I think what pushed him over the edge one was that his name was floated around being traded. That never happened. There never was like an actual conversation to actually trade him. And then uh, Tommy Shepard made it publicly that they were building around Brad. He didn't say we're building about Brad and John. He said we're building around Brad. And I think for John, it was like, oh, if that's your guy, then I'm not your guy anymore. So go ahead and have fun with your guy and let me have my my piece and, and go on, on my business. And I think he felt disrespected uh, by that. He felt disrespected that the organization hadn't just said, okay, we're John and Brad's team. He said, basically, they we're Brad's team. And for a guy who, from the jump, had only known it to be his team, then even if was Brad was coming into his own, he never saw it as Brad's team. It's like, oh, well, Brad's on my level. So that means it's our team. But then the organization made it public that it, that John is like he's now a supporting Castor. I mean, a supporting Cast, you know, of of the brass team. And I think at that point, he felt that you know they had they had moved on from him. And you know, like I said, guys' egos sometimes getting in the way a lot, a lot of ways. And for me, as as somebody who's been around both of them, um, I would have liked to have seen them at least just be on the court together because. They had both talked about wanting to do it. I mean, maybe they just—they were just saying it just because it sounded good. And, you know, they didn't actually want to go through with it when it got all the way down to it. But it would have been nice just for the fans to see John back and playing for them and representing uh, DC one more time. But I think the relationship had sort of soured. And, and I, if we're being frank here, uh, personally, I believe that the Wizards should have just hit the reset button altogether because – you know, this John Wall era was a 10-year period, and they, their ceiling was a second round. And so you add Russell Westbrook to the mix, and that's great. He's a, he's a phenomenal player, you know, former MVP, first ballot Hall of Famer, you know, three time, three years in a row, average triple doubles, like just a phenomenal talent. But what's your ceiling as an organization? Is it just where, right where it was? Or now you are you a, a first-round exit team? Because the East is a lot better. And if you're Bradley Bill What do you want out of this? Do you want to be the man on a team that doesn't win anything? Or do you want to win something? Do you want to win? And do you want to be a contributor to a team that wins something? Because I think for me personally, I thought they should have blown it all the way up and let Brad have the opportunity to play for something. Because what's a playoff appearance for Bradley Bill? Like how far, what's that going to do for him? He's already had four of them, you know, if he gets five or six more playoff appearances, what does that do? If he gets a chance to really get to the conference finals and show people how good he is, and let that kind of stay in their brains, what's that going to do for him in terms of he'll never get overlooked for All NBA again if he's on a, if he's actually in a in a postseason run and, and getting buckets, you know, in games that matter, and his reputation is a lot better. Now, I like guys playing their careers that can in one place, but not. Only a select few are fortunate enough to stay in one place for a long time and win championships in that place. You know, Steph Curry's probably going to wind up retiring a Warrior. But after him, who else? I mean, who else is going to stay with the same organization and win in one place? So Um, how do you
2: blow it up, though, if you have all that money committed to Wall and the only way you probably could have gotten rid of him is for like a Westbrook trade or to take on some bad contracts or to send him out with picks attached?
1: Well, I felt like last year that they had opportunity to move Brad, and the minute they move Brad, then it becomes a thing about trying to find the right trade partner for John, and then you sort of lower the expectations for the organization, and you sort of you you allow John to just basically spend that time where Brad's gone, just boost his his value, you know, um, and, and try to get his numbers up so that when you can find somebody that maybe you can take him on. I think if you look at what Sam Presti did, you know, people are like once Paul George got out of there, it's like, well, how are they going to move Russell Westbrook? And then they traded it for Chris Paul. And then it's like, well, man, you know, what's going to happen with Chris Paul? They traded him for, you know, all these draft picks. And so, you know, if if you just have a vision about what you want to do as an organization, there is a way to get it done. And it's been proven. Um, There's no contract that can be moved. We we talk about it all the time. You know, I say, you know, there's, there's every, you know, everybody can get traded. And if there's a will, they will get traded. And I think that's, that's one of the things like I don't. I don't know what you necessarily get back in return for John, especially since he hadn't played in two years. The best you probably could have done is just Russell Westbrook deal. But I think when it comes to Brad, you could have really gotten anything you wanted. And, and in terms of picks, in terms of future prospects, you could have just basically uh, just called around the league and said, "What can we get him? And some picks for, for Brad. And I'm sure a lot of teams would have jumped on it because Brad, Brad's no secret to the rest of the league everybody knows that he's the goods that you put him on the floor he's good for 30 like that is hard to do i mean you talk about elite scores a 20 point score is a really good score a 25 score 25 point score is a great score a 30 point score is an elite score you are in a select company you are up there with mj and kobe and rick Barry and um you know James Harden. Like when you get above 30 KD, you're you're in that elite scorer department. Brand's an elite scorer now. And so they could have gotten anything for him. Building around him, I don't necessarily think it's bad, just from a sense of, you know, you can you can keep the fans around and say, hey, we got a playoff team. But I just think for organizations like the Wizards, Bullets, whatever, who haven't been to the finals since 1979, once you've kind of reached this this part where you're stuck. Um, and just being sort of a Midland franchise, it's okay, I think, to hit the reboot. It's okay to start over because your ceiling isn't high as it is. And, and, what, and what are you holding on for? Um, once you decide that you are done with John, um, I think you should just go ahead and say, let's see what we can do and see what else we can do moving forward in the future. It's 2020 now. You know, we're moving into a new decade. And if you're still holding on to what was in the past decade, you might be stuck there.
0: So so we don't have a magical, magical championship run with, with Wes uh with with Russ coming into the <laughs> coming into the fold now. There's no no magical well, Let's let's, let's, see. Run.
1: let's see. I don't think Milwaukee's gonna let it happen. I don't think Brooklyn's gonna let it happen. I don't think Philly's gonna let it happen. Miami ain't ain't gonna let it happen. Indiana. You look at all these teams, Boston, sorry, how do they get them out? You know, there's six teams, us name it on the top of my head, that are all Really good and all better than the Wizards right now. And it, the only thing I can say about the Wizards and about this season is that on paper, we can do whatever we want. This season is going to be one of the more unique seasons that we've ever encountered in the NBA. And it's not like the bubble, it's going to be a much greater challenge because of the coronavirus. And all these guys are going to be traveling, they're going to be playing back to back games. We've seen the problems that you've had in the NFL just trying to get 16 games off. You saw in baseball, they had a 60 game season. A lot of guys had to opt out because every time they went on a road trip, like four guys would get coronavirus and they had to push off these games and play double headers. They had to do a lot of things creatively to try to just get through a baseball season. Now you're trying to play a 72 game NBA season and asking guys (laughs) to travel on the road, go to New York, go to Atlanta, go to Houston, go to Miami, go to LA and stay in your hotel room. (laughs) so that we don't wind up with COVID cases. And I just have a very hard time seeing guys having that level of dedication. I think it's easy to do in a bubble when everybody's trapped in Disney world and they can't go anywhere and you got all these protocols. And if you step out of line, you get, you know, held out for 10 games or whatever, or 10 days and have to quarantine, and all that stuff. But now like it's real, like it's going to be up to the players to really have to be committed and, and making sure that they, don't get out of line and do anything crazy. Don't have too many lemon pepper runs at, at Magic City, <laughs> you know, because uh, they they free, to, they free to roam now. And so it, it, it's going to be a challenge for teams to sort of – that we expect to be good to just go through this season without having anything to knock them off course because even with all the vaccines that we're expecting to sort of help, it's going to be a challenge. And so that if you were talking about Magic – that might be the one opening in that, that could help them, you know, in some ways. If they are able to stick to the stick to the rules and the protocols and they stay healthy through the whole year, who knows what happens, but I'm not optimistic that they'll be better than any of those six teams that I named. And then if you look at the other teams in the East, uh Atlanta got better. Um, they had a great summer. So that's seven teams. Orlando was a playoff team last year, <clears throat> and they should be, you know, they still have Steve Clifford, who's a really good coach. Um, so the Wizards will be in that seven to ten mix. Um, you know, they'll be in that, that play-in group. Um, at least I, that's what I see them as. I see them as a team in that play-in group. And they, they could get in there and, and have, have some fun in the postseason. But um I just I just don't see them really making a deep run.
2: Larry, do you think it helps them to have Westbrook and Beale from from that standpoint? Because those are two guys that can almost carry you for a couple nights, but they're two guys that I don't expect to get COVID because they were in the club the night before or, or things like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's again, it's like you know who's going to be the, the, the last man standing or the, the team that has the, the most viable bodies. And I don't, you know, you would like to have your wing, your small forward be the the guy that you need to rely on. I mean, you're talking about relying on your point guard or your your, your two guard. Um, but yeah, I think that if you put those guys, you know on any court to, to say, I challenge you to come out on top. Those guys are going to step up to, to the challenge. And, you know, there are a number of guys in the NBA that they won't. So, but you can count your your money on, on those two guys, you know, really stepping up to a challenge. So I'm, I'm excited to see it.
1: Yeah. The other thing too, that's interesting, like you just mentioned, um, like, and in the, in the, this is the LeBron era, you know, since 2010, pretty much. Um, Everybody that's won a championship has had an elite forward, you know. Um, you know, going from Dirk to LeBron to KD. The, the Warriors did it with a backcourt, but if you look at their Finals MVPs, it was Andre Iguodala <laughs> and Kevin Durant. And then I didn't. Kawhi Leonard snuck in there. He's in the mix. So if you have an elite wing, I mean, a uh, three three four guy, then I think that's that's who you lean on to try to win championships now. A great, a great backcourt, the ceiling is only but so high. Um, you see it with Portland, as great as Dan Miller is, and C.J. McCollum, they a fantastic backcourt. Backcourt can't take you home. They can only get you maybe to the conference finals. Uh, the Warriors were the exception, but they, they also had Draymond Green, who could play point forward and could do a lot of things on the defensive end that could elevate them. So unless you have that third piece that can really separate you, it's just hard to depend on two guys to get it done for you. It's if they're if they're backcourt guys.
2: So we don't think Denny Avdia can be that guy. If you talk to him, he is that guy.
1: <laughs> he's pretty. He's not short on confidence, and uh, he's had some success in Israel. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what he does when he finally gets to play. Um, but he's a rookie too, so it's hard to expect a lot out of him. But he's definitely confident, you know. And for in, me, it's the
0: pace. Right. For for me, it's the pace, you know, especially obviously a a guy coming in uh, from overseas. But just, you know, the fact that that he's a rookie uh, in the league and it's just a different pace. So, I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, it's going to be too fast for him. Uh, It's just how can he maneuver from the wing spot, you know, at that pace to to not only make a play for himself, but also create um, for his teammates. And that's that's what we need to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you look at a guy like Luka you talk about pace. I mean, that guy's in complete control out there on the court. Like you can't rough, you can't ruffle him. Like he's going to play the way he wants to play and move the way he wants to move. And, you know, you can try to, you know, get in his head and you know, call him names or whatever, but he's, he's going to still give you, give you the goods, give you the business. Um, and so I think that that's important. He's not the most incredible athlete, but he does know how to control the game.
2: So circling back to one thing here real quick, and, and I want to get, both of you guys to weigh in on this one a little bit. We've heard all these rumblings for years about maybe Beal and Wall don't love the on-court fit together, and both of them feel slighted by certain things, and it's who's, the, who's Batman in this situation, you know, but, but both guys say on Wall, Wall's way out of town, we're shocked by this. We wanted to play together. The media's done everything it can to try to break us up, and we never let them uh, what's true here? Like, what what do you guys both buy? I mean, Larry and I talked about this a little bit last week, but there's been some more comments from Wall since then about he didn't want to be traded and all these things. I, I just, as a fan, I don't know how to reconcile that anymore. If
1: John, if Brad wanted John there, I don't think John gets traded. I, I don't see any scenario where if Brad walks into Tommy's office or or, Tom, or or Ted's office and says, "I I have to play with him," and they say, "Nope, no way, Brad, we don't want to make you happy." <laughs> Um, I'm not saying Brad asked for John to be traded, but I'm sure that if if he didn't want this move to happen, he could have stepped up and said no. Because, you know, Brad they ask Brad, you know, personnel decisions on every move they make from like, hey, you think we should get Ish Smith? You think we should get, you know, whoever else? And Brad's like, yeah, I like him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so they run past every personnel decision they, that 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 they make because they want to make sure that Brad's gonna feel comfortable playing with the guy and that he feels like he can, um, you know, run with them. And I think when you look at Russ, their personalities are going to fit well together. They're, they're super competitive guys. They both have similar, you know, family kind of situations. You know, Russ has got a real tight circle. You know, he don't really let anybody in. You know, it's just his his, his parents, his brother, and it's his wife, and his three kids. And then it's like maybe a couple other people that get in there. Brad's the same way. He's not rolling with a big crew. You know, he's got his brothers. He's got his mother and his father and his wife and his kids. And so they both kind of have similar mensali- mentalities. they got similar levels of competitiveness. Um, Brad's more of a quiet competitor. He kind of keeps it, you know, the fires burning, blazing inside. Um, and But you, you'll see it, you know, come out on the court every now and then. Um, Russ, obviously, you know what kind of competitor he is. But off the court, you know, you talk to anybody that's been around Russ, they'll tell you. He's one of the nicest guys that you want to be around. He's got a great heart. You know, he can tell about some of the things he does in the community. You heard the story about him in the bubble when he gave, um know, the cleaning women in his hotel room, left him a huge four figure tip, you know, to make sure that they were, they felt, you know, compensated for the work that they had done. That's the kind of stuff that Russ does. That doesn't really get talked about a lot because everybody just sees him as being some sort of selfish player because he gets triple doubles. But, I think that he and Brad, personality-wise, they'll be fine, um, and I think that they'll enjoy playing with each other. And I think Brad will enjoy having Russell there because his whole last five years, especially, he's been a leader. He's been the guy that had to carry the franchise and had to, you know, you know, do all the other things that a, a leader does, you know, to mobilize guys and get them inspired to go out there and compete on a nightly basis, and taking that pressure off of Brad, who struggled a little bit in that regard last season, um, just allowing him to go out there and just play and just rock out, then you might see the best version of Brad. And That doesn't mean he's going to average 30 points a game, but you're just going to see a guy who's going to bring it on both ends of the floor because we know that last year it was tough for him to play on the defensive end because he had to carry so much weight offensively. But now with Russ's energy and knowing that Russ can go out there and get you a 30-point triple-double, Brad won't have to always feel like man, I got to come out here and get 50 tonight. If we gonna have any chance to win this, he can take a step back and say, well, it's not my night, you know, so I can focus on, you know, guarding, you know, uh, whoever, Jalen Brown tonight and really making sure that he has a rough night. Um, And and those type of things, I think that 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 that's what's going to help Brad and elevate him in in a lot of ways with being with Russ.
0: And and I, I think that those guys like each other. I don't think that there's a, a beef, you know, with between Brad and, and John. Um, yeah, they, they def, I think I think they
1: they're, I think friends. wise they're 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 really tight. I mean, they're brothers in, in in every way. But you also know that you know you have friends, you have guys that you love. You don't necessarily want to like do business with them.
0: And, and and that's cool. I think that that's the 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 part that we have to understand and when we say like whether smoke there's fire, as far as to, you know, ego can play a, a huge role in the separation now if they are able to separate who we are off the court because of the relationship that we built as opposed to like whenever when we all step on the court like our ego kicks in like some of us can control it but some of us can't so if it's a situation where john can't control his his ego as far as to who's going to be the leader of the team or whose face they're going to use on the opening nights t- you know uh season ticket holders you know book yeah. I think that, that can, you know, that can be compartmentalized into us being on the court and getting our job done but us supporting each other off the court whether it's in the community or being there for a family member things that are, are really real you know once yeah. the game is over but I can't stand you during the game <laughs> once we get home it's all good and I think that that's you know I think that that's kind of the you know the the boat that they fell into
1: yeah, yeah, because I heard that, like, you know, after, um you know, John lost his mother last year, that Brad was one of the guys that was right there with him, you know, trying to uplift him and keep his spirits up because it was tough, you know, because he had to deal with the injury and not having his mom around. And Brad was there, you know. They both had kids around the same age and around the same time in life, so they're going through these these life experiences right around, you know, together. So the friendship, I think, is legit, and I don't think that that's something that um people – but I also don't think that they couldn't play with each other, I think that they could have played with each other, but it was, it was going to be a little tougher now that Brad has sort of established who he is in this league
0: and i I'll, I'll add to that um, when I was in Cleveland and I lost my brother, uh, my brother passed away, and uh, I flew back to St. Louis and we were at the funeral, and all of my Cleveland teammates came to the came to the funeral they they were all there, represented supporting me a thousand percent and then when I walk out of the the service, I walk right into GA. Mm. I walk right into Gilbert. And for me, it was like, that's really what it's, you know, that's really what it's about. So you just, you know, talking about John's mother, uh, talking about how Brad was there to support, you know, our, you know, relationship, you know, within the Washington wizards, you know, that, those kind of things are, you can separate, right. I mean, when someone is there for you, you know, on a completely different emotional level, you know, than anything basketball related, it goes a long way. And we didn't have—I didn't think we had any of the, you know, the issues within the organization of, hey, this is this is going to be Gilbert's team, Larry. <laughs> it won't be your team, so we're going to offer you X amount of dollars. Like that wasn't our beef. Mm-hmm. So I can relate to, you know, the John and and Brad's, you know, sort of situation because you know, there, there's some similarities there within, you know, this relationship building on and off the court. And then you add in, you know, the organization and how they are portraying the situation of putting you against this person or saying it's this person's team when there's just a lot of, you know, a lot of buttons to be pushed and a lot of stories to be told on the other side.
2: And Larry, when we had Gilbert on, he talked about, hey, if anybody had said anything to me about this, like I didn't know we, you know, I, I knew we made an offer to Larry, but, no, Nobody told me the, the dollar amounts. If they'd have told me, I'd have said pay him more. Like, I mean, you know, that speaks volumes about the dynamic that, that you guys had. And, and whether that did or didn't happen, you know, in this case, uh, I'm not really sure.
0: Well, just quick on that. I, I think that Brad would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad is from a space of, of hungry, humble, and smart as well. Yeah. And if, you know, if, if, if they would have come to him and said, well, John has an issue with us saying that we're going to mold the team around you, then I'm sure he could have found a way to alleviate that stress, you know, from, from just from him speaking out about the team or the play, or I know he was excited about John coming back, but guys don't always get that opportunity to speak up in a way that that's going to be powerful or make any sense. And I really don't think Brad has been able to, to speak up in a basketball sense because every time the conversation is asked, it, it gets personal, you know, to their personal relationship. So I don't think he ever gets a chance to say, you know, we could have rocked and did this thing together or whatever. I don't think he's had a basketball conversation unless I haven't heard, you know, yet I haven't heard him have the chance to just give a basketball explanation of what the issues were.
2: Yeah. I mean, he, he said during media availability, Hey, I'm not the GM. I didn't get, you know, consulted on, on this final deal here. Uh, and, I can't believe that they wouldn't have at least brought it up to him, but maybe, you know, the final pull the trigger moment, I guess would, would be interesting. One kind of last thing I wanted to hit with you guys is Tommy Shepard's role in all this. Like, I can't help but think if he hadn't been here through the whole Gilbert experience, you know, maybe this plays out a little differently. I just, part of this to me is like, maybe he wants to handle this thing differently than Ernie handled Gilbert, you know, waiting maybe a little too long to try to make a deal like, I see this as him trying to put his stamp on things and, and differentiate himself from his predecessor because most of our fan base lumps them all together as, as the protege.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the first things that, that Tommy said when he took over was like, I'm not Ernie, and I'm not going to do things the way Ernie did. And I think that I talked to somebody who who knows who knows Ernie and Tommy very well, and he told me that he applauded Tommy for making the move and doing it as quickly and as decisively as he did because he said that if it had been Ernie, it would probably have been three months into it before he actually felt like he was confident enough to pull the trigger because he would have been second guessing the the decision over and over again and asking if he should do it. Um, But Tommy was like, no, we got to get it done. And if you look at what Tommy was up against, right, I think he's in the last year of his deal. And so he's got to do something to show the owner that, Hey, we're making progress and we're moving forward. And and you already can pencil in Russell Westbrook, who's a, for, an all-NBA player, averaged 27, 8, and 8 last year, which is monster, ridiculous numbers. You pencil him in. You don't have to worry about him easing himself back in. You don't have to put him on men's restrictions and try to get him to get his Achilles, you know, feeling comfortable. You don't have to worry about him regaining a rhythm with these new teammates he hasn't played with. You just got to do it. going to go out there and play hard and compete. He's going to elevate you in the energy in the building. You don't have to worry about any past, you know, residual frustrations that may have occurred from, you know, playing with other guys. And so you you can just go. And I think that the fact that, uh, you know, John was able to play 10 years in Washington, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Ernie was there for nine of those years. And so, you know, there was no worry or concern about whose team it was or what direction the franchise was going because Ernie was fully committed with John because he knew what that did – for him extending his stay in Washington, right? They became a relevant team. They were making the push towards getting to the conference finals. And so, yeah, Ernie's going to take care of the guy that's taking care of his future. And so – but with Tommy, he doesn't have – those allegiances to John because John hasn't played for two years. He hasn't played since Tommy's been the GM. The only guy that's played since Tommy's been the GM is Brad. So if you're Tommy and you're saying, okay, I want to keep this job (laughs) – I want to win games. Who's going to help me do that? Who can I, who can I, am I, am I certain that can do that? I'm going to go with number three. And I think that's what happened here. And um, and so he made the move that was best for the organization right now in terms of trying to make the next step as an organization and getting to the, getting back into the playoffs. And um, he had to take the emotion out of it. Cause I mean, even though, you know, he had to make the move, he, he he's known John as long too. I mean, he's, 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 he's been able to know what kind of, you know, person John is, what kind of heart he has and just what he means to the city. Um, but he also had to figure out, like, right now we're moving in a different direction. And what, what, why do we need to hold on if we're not going in the same place as him?
0: Yeah, and, and I think just the the ads of the ability to move contracts now. I mean, yeah, you know, you have conversation and there, there's always mention of, of this guy can't be moved because of the contract. But we all know right now, because of all the money that's involved, that teams are able to move large contracts easier than ever. So with that, I mean, you can start to lay your plan out and get a you know, vision of how you want things to look and targets that you have and understanding that after we get out of the pand- pandemic, hopefully that your salary caps, are, your, your numbers are, are level out or they'll go up. So you have the opportunity to do even more um, so there's just a, a, a vision and a plan that you have to obviously have a vision and a plan in order to deviate from it. And I think that this is one of the the deviations from, you know, starting, you know, without John this season, because I think if if all the rumblings weren't there from John's side, that he would be there. I, I don't think that it would be a, a sense of urgency to move him if he wasn't rumbling about getting out of there. So, you know, hopefully there's a, a plan that's in place to understand after we come out on the other side of this, that you'll have an opportunity to build a team that's successful. Like Mike's saying, a team that Brad can feel comfortable with, you know, being involved with and, and going out and competing every night because you don't want him to get in a situation next year where he's been overlooked for so many of the top NBA awards and it's not due to, to anything that, that he's done. It's not Matched up against his performance, that pulls a player back. I mean that that that's going to frustrate the hell out of out of out of Brad if you know that sort of scenario happens again. And the only way you can fight that is, you know, putting a winning team on the court and then showing some vision and some direction.
2: Do you expect more moves to follow here, guys? Uh, I mean, if we're going all in on Brad and is the opposite of a rebuild, should should we be banking on some stuff prior to the trade deadline, or or what do you think?
1: I, I I doubt it. I mean, I don't I don't see a a potential move that they can make right now. Um, I think they kind of want to see what they have. Um, I think that Russ was the move they wanted to have their backcourt, and now they got you know a future Hall of Famer in that slot. And so I think that they they're they're moving forward. Um, I think the playoffs is the goal. I don't think that this is a team that says well, we got to win a championship right now. And so by the time the trade deadline hits, they're they're paying this they're paying a lot of money. They're hoping that Dallas Bertens can turn out to be something special. They're hoping that Rui, you know, takes the next step. They're hoping to see more out of Troy Brown and, and Thomas Bryant and a lot of their younger guys um, that they, they can come in and sort of really be a, a solid team. You know, um, they, they, they people forget they were the ninth seed last year. They went to the bubble in Orlando, despite not having a whole lot of talent. And so when you add, you know, a Russell Westbrook to the fold and you have a leader now, um, I don't think they necessarily need to make it, do a lot of, do a lot of tweaking they did the major tweaking they did the biggest possible tweak you could do you know in moving john and so now you have a team that's just ready to go um you don't have to worry about any questions about any past drama or anything about relationships or anything like that you can just go out there and play basketball and i think in some ways it, it takes so much pressure away from brad that he doesn't have to answer questions about john until they play the rockets right and he doesn't have to answer questions uh, about like being a leader because Russ is going to be there to take that pressure off of him, and so I'm excited to see what Brad is going to bring to the table this year because um, the Wizards did do right by him, you know. And and in, in this in this situation, you know, if, if make it to the playoffs is what you want, and you you want to see us, you know, making moves and strides in that 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 direction, we've done it. And then from there, you know, Russell will be getting older next year, and I think then you start trying to get some more pieces to take to make up, to compensate for, you know, any uh, way in which he, he deteriorates.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they did get a shot in the arm, right. I mean, John didn't play last year. So bringing Russ in, that's, that's having another, having another pick, you know, they got uh, the number ninth pick that's coming in. It's, you know, he's, he's expected to be pretty good. He expected to contribute um, as, as a young guy, Uh, Hachi is coming back. Who's, learned a little bit more. Uh, you have a shooter in Berton's who's, who's there. Uh, so essentially it's it's a new team, but you're bringing in two fresh bodies that you expect to help. And you can look at them as a, a new acquisition or you can look at them as two new draft picks. I mean, however you want to look at them, uh, they're two new guys that are coming into the group to, to make the team better. But for me, it's like they got to figure out on the defensive end, you know, what they're going to do. I mean, we're talking about guys that, mm. you know, we want to see what they're going to do on the offensive end or see how they're going to affect you know, the locker room, of course, and build the culture. But if you can't stop anybody, you know, or make it tough for people to score and just have them use the three balls as opposed to shooting the three and getting layups, then, you know, you're going to struggle all year. So that's the piece for me is to see what are we talking about on defense? I mean, what's the intensity like on defense? What's the intensity like about coverage and holding people accountable? All right. Like what's, that's, that's the real basketball game. So that's what I'm interested to see
2: really good stuff guys i think there's probably another two hours we could do on this uh, it's just uh, interesting stuff at, at some point i, I want to hear from both you guys uh maybe in a follow-up conversation about the the whole hall, wall harden situation and i'm kind of angry at harden because now i have to know about what a little baby is i, I didn't even know what that was prior to last week <laughs> so i'm holding that one against him but just just before we get out of here what does sports enterprise team mean? What kind of content can people expect from you at the Washington Post? Uh, and, and why this particular switch to, to come back to, to the Post?
1: Yeah, um, you know, obviously, you know, I worked at the Post from 04 to 2015 and uh, had a great time there. Um, had a great experience, you know, covering the Wizards and the NBA and then left for Yahoo and then went to the Athletic. I, I kind of was kind of itching for another challenge and something that can really um, I can write something that could either challenge people to think more, to think harder. And um, and they presented me an opportunity to write about, you know, race and gender and the role that sports plays in society. And it was just an exciting opportunity for me, um, because I think one of the things that we noticed, especially in 2020, with all the things that happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, you saw the athlete activism, you know, in a way that you hadn't seen before, you know, have an opportunity to really tell the stories that aren't told often and, and kind of, you know, brush on dynamics that, that, you know, we don't actually address, you know, my first story, uh, with the post was I interviewed Dave Roberts about being the first, or first African-American, uh, to win the world series since CETO gas in 1993, you know, that's 27 years and, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to talk to Dusty Baker and, and, and Ron Washington and Cito Gaston about just what it meant. And I talked to Dave Roberts and just, and so when you think about representation and just what it means for people to see, you know, a black man in these positions and, and succeeding and just what it can do to inspire. Um, those are kind of stories that I'll be chasing, you know, looking and um, examining, you know, the NBA and, or other leagues and how they hire, you know, minorities and how they deal with them and situations that they encounter. And so it's just going to be a, a brand new role, uh, a lot of things that are going to be explored or things that we haven't explored before and it's, new, it's a new challenge for me. you know I felt like I had written so many NBA stories and I, a lot of times I was telling the same story we're just plugging in new names and different stats and I wanted to actually just try something different. I mean this this, this, uh, this trade with wall and, and Westbrook has is a, I've been you know reeled back into doing some NBA coverage. And that's fine, because I definitely love the league. You know, I covered it for 19 years. That's that's like a little more than half, a little less than half my life. But um, but it, it's, it's all I've known. So I'll still be around the game, but I just won't be dealing with a lot of the, you know, daily drama that I, that I used to. And I'll be able to try to write stories that um, dig a little deeper and and tell more profound stories about. The environments that players come out of, the challenges that they face, um, situations they may encounter in college, you know, and just so I'm excited. Uh, I'm glad to be back at the post. Uh, I consider it a homecoming in a lot of ways, and I use the analogy of how, you know, uh, Dwayne Wade, you know, played 13 years at the Miami Heat, and then he was like, well, let me go to Chicago, let me go play there, and it didn't really work out, and then he went to Cleveland, and he's like, you know what? Uh, There's only one place that's home for me. And that's sort of how I feel. Like my, the post is home for me. And that's that's kind of where I want to be.
2: Well, as a post subscriber, happy to have you back. I'm, I'm glad <laughs> for your sake that, that you won't have to do any of those midnight deadlines after a game or anything like that. So that's always good. Uh, sounds like important stuff and definitely needed more uh, in this time than ever. So we yeah, appreciate Yeah,
1: I, I, I'm sorry. i tell you just one quick story. Uh, like after I wrote the story um, about Dave Roberts, you know, Dusty Baker and Dave both reached out to me and thanked me for writing it. And they felt like they had finally been seen or heard in a way they hadn't been before so that's my first story i was like oh so there's a there's a there's a reason for this there's a reason why this is here and that why i have to do this these type of stories and so uh i'm excited about what i can do and and really telling you know the type of stories that are gonna make maybe make people a little more uncomfortable than just somebody had a great game last night
2: whenever you need to scratch that uh that NBA itch or Wizards itch we're we'll happy to happy to have you back oh for sure i'm definitely going to be watching games
1: there's no doubt about that i love basketball so i'm a fan